Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Good morning, fellas. Welcome to Man Challenge Fall Edition 23. Come on in and grab a seat. We're going to go ahead and get rolling. My name is Ronnie Cordray. I get to serve here on our men's team, and it's my pleasure to welcome you guys in to another awesome edition of Man Challenge. So if you're new here, guys, I'm not going to embarrass you and ask you to come up on stage, but just want to let you know, man, why do we, why are all these dudes meeting at six in the morning? Uh, yeah, why, why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this for a couple reasons. We're trying to chase after a few values, developing a few values, every one of us in here. One of them is we're trying to develop a next step of faith. You know, one thing I've learned, I'm 50 years old, and one thing I know is, is pursuing Jesus as Lord, it's a lifelong pursuit. As long as we have breath in our lungs and a pulse, uh, there's always a next step of faith, not to prove our love to Jesus or make him love us more. Uh, that was settled on the cross, but man, obedience is his love language, and so we want to become men um, of movement because depth comes from movement, and so we celebrate whenever a guy um, intentionally takes his next step of faith, and there's a picture we're going to throw up on here, Jacob Maletta. Uh, he took his next step of faith, got baptized a few weeks recently. That is worth celebrating. Another one of our values around here is developing a heart to invest in others. And last week, if you were here, Hunter Sin, who was emceeing, he got up here and he talked about praying and the importance of praying, uh, praying for people and with people. And one of our own, one of our Man Challenge faithful leaders here, who is not here uh, currently, but Mark Carruthers has been faithful at a discipling group of men here over the past several years. And uh, his picture's up there. I got to spend some time with him last Thursday morning after Man Challenge. He's, uh, he's been handed a, a, a tough deal. He's got a son in high school, a daughter in elementary, a wife, and he just got diagnosed with, with colon and liver cancer. And um, so I told him, I said, man, we're going to be lifting you up and praying alongside of you. And I know he was bragging on several of you in this room who uh, live in his neighborhood as well as have just been reaching out. And uh, just want you to know, encouragement's never a small thing when you're on the receiving end of that. And so, men, thank you for, for being the hands and feet of Jesus in that one. But if you see that, he, handed, he held up his uh, chemo bag. And I said, what is that? And he's like, well, I'm actually getting chemo right now. And he said, I named this bag, uh, it's my chemo bag. He said, I named it Chemo Sabi, which <laughs> I thought was, was pretty awesome. But he said he named it that and then, and then was like, man, is that politically correct? I want to make sure I'm not offending somebody. And he looked at, his wife looked it up. And you know what? Uh, it means trusted friend. And man, I about got emotional hearing that dude talk about like he named it before he knew the meaning of it. And he said, this is my trusted friend. And he said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get me through this and I'm fighting it. And so I want us to pause right now and pray for Mark Carruthers. And um, then we're going to go from there. Lord, <clears throat> you're the ultimate healer and we give you praise for that. Sometimes you use um, modern medicine and doctors to be part of your healing process. But God, at the end of the day, 
you're all powerful and you have supernatural healing power. And so we ask that whatever process you choose, we ask that you would supernaturally intervene and that you would choose to restore, to heal inside and out Mark Carruthers. I pray your peace over his family. I pray that you would use those of us in the room who know um, this man, his family, to continue um, helping keep his arms steady. But God, we ask that you bring about a great victory and use, use your healing power as a significant part of his story pointing people towards your son Jesus' redemptive power. Um, thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're glad you're here. We got a great morning lined up for you. Uh, if you didn't grab a, a guide, we encourage all of us to come in here to grab a guide and to take notes. You know, we're seven times more likely to remember something we write down. So um, as our teacher tees up conversation this morning, I just encourage you, you know, maybe you think, maybe you dream in outlines, maybe you're more of just a bullet point person, whatever's helpful for you, uh, but write it down and it'll help you remember. But at this time, I'd like us to welcome to our Man Challenge stage, Carl Cool. Carl's going to be teaching us this morning. That's right. Carl joined our staff, what? A year ago. Exactly a year ago. Yeah. So, Carl, what has been your biggest observation of the men of this church in the past year? Oh, man. Um, they're short. <laughs> <laughs> not in Japan not in Japan um, you know I uh, I <laughs> you know I know all the stats I, I love all the stuff that says if you if you reach the men you reach everybody right and so I love one our church's theology is correct <laughs> that men are called to unique roles in the church and in the home to elder and to lead in the home and that our men actually do that and say, I am going to be the example. So I, I just think it's a great thing to look around, see the men at multiple campuses. I mean, you know, I hope you guys get to hear what goes on at other campuses with the men of those, those campuses as well, because um, the men are leading in this church and it's a great thing. So tell me, you, you and Lindsay and your kids, you, did, you took a big undertaking this summer. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what you did and why you did it. Okay, so um, we, so the genesis of it was when we launched our church in Maryland, we moved to Maryland 15 years ago to start church, we knew nobody in the state, so for about the first three years of the church, if you were new to our church, you came to our house for dinner. I mean, that's just how we know how to do ministry is just have people in our home, and um, we, so there's 200... Well, what we did is we invited all the staff that I get to lead with their families over to our house. We had 24 cookouts this summer um, with about 8 to 10 families per cookout. So something like 500 people came to our house this summer for a cookout. And only one of them was a dud. And the one that you and Chris Morgan at was not it. That yes. was one of the highlights. So it was great. I would expect that. Um, <laughs> well, I know you would. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen this guy's thumbprint on our staff culture, and that's an example of that. Um, of Man, they open their home over and over and over again, and I'm just seeing the fruit of what you're being intentional about, and I just want to thank you for modeling when you don't have a microphone in your hand because it gives you authority when you do. So from one short guy to one bald guy, welcome to Man Challenge. That's good. That's good. 
My wife put her hands, we were on vacation two summers ago, and she put her hands on my shoulders, and she didn't look in my eyes. She looked at my hair, and she said, babe, it's time. I was like, I got you. Um, so I uh, just want to start by saying I really respect you and want to honor you for being here. I know there are many other things you could be doing. I know you could be at the gym. I know you could be asleep. I know you could be getting ahead on emails at work. And the fact that you're here uh, making this a priority gives me hope about our church, gives me confidence in our church. And um, I just want to say I honor you and respect you for that. We're talking today about the fruit of the Spirit, patience. Going through the fruit of the Spirit, we're on patience, which when I remember I was teaching on that made me think of waiting, right? So I looked up some stats on waiting. So in your life, you will wait on average 32 minutes whenever you visit a doctor. You will wait 28 minutes in security lines whenever you fly. Uh, you will wait 21 minutes for your significant other when you're getting ready to go on a date. You will spend 13 hours annually waiting on hold for a customer service rep. And in the course of your lifetime, you'll spend on average six months waiting at red lights. Uh, in fact, Timex, the watch company, did a little survey a couple years ago where they asked people how long they would wait for certain things before they took action. So when someone's talking in a movie, the amount of time you would wait before you shush them is 26 seconds. How many of you, we'll just do like a personality test real quick. How many of you would, are the personality who would shush someone at the movie theater? Raise your hand. Okay, these are my kind of people right here. The rest of us appreciate you. Um, if a light turns green and the car in front of you doesn't, in fact, we'll just, we'll just do this at your table real quick. How, how many seconds do you think you would wait when the light turns green and the car in front of you doesn't move? Just tell your table real quick, real quick. <laughs> okay, how many of you all, how many of you all are under, under five seconds? Under five seconds, yes. <laughs> This is the men's group. Let's go. The average is 13 seconds, which I thought was pretty, yeah. Okay. Here's my favorite one. Here's my favorite one on the list um, is uh, the amount of time people said they would wait for a blind date to show up before they left was 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 agonizing, cold, desperate, lonely minutes. I mean, that's just rough. And when we think of patience, we could, we could go really deep with this, right? We could talk about unanswered prayer of praying for someone to get well or a marriage that is on its last leg or a kid who is a prodigal. We could go really deep that way. With patience, we could talk about the long process of being made holy, where you are praying for God to deliver you from the pull of sin and that specific sin even, but you keep falling to it and you repent every time in tears and you want God to deliver you, but he doesn't and you're patient with him as he gives you new desires. With patience, we could talk about deep pain in relationships where something's broken and you long for that to be fixed and you to be reconciled to that person, but it's not happening yet. And all of those things need patience. What I want to do today, however, is I want us to really think more of the everyday 
practical situations that you find yourself in where you need patience. Um, for example, I saw a list of some of the most annoying sounds in the world, which makes me think of Dumb and Dumber. Um, some people say it's snoring. Some people will say it's nails against the chalkboard. I argue there is no worse sound in the world than the alarm clock going off in the morning. In fact, I think if you end up in hell, I believe it is just getting woken up by an alarm clock for eternity because you're in that deep comfortable, great state of sleep and to get woken up and jarred awake to face the day is not fun. So I got one of these things a couple years ago that is a light alarm clock. Anybody else have one of these? You know what I'm talking about? Where like you set the time, say you want to get up at 5.30, the light gradually starts coming on at 5 o'clock and gradually fills the room with light for about 30 minutes. And the Science behind it is that if you've gotten enough sleep that the light will wake you up and that if you haven't got enough sleep that the alarm actually does come on at 5.30 to, you know, get you out of bed. Um, but it's a much more comfortable way uh, to start the day. For me, that alarm clock is often the difference between waking up grumpy and waking up positive thinking, all right, I can attack the day with patience. And the scripture we're going to look, read today, I think, is the difference. It's going to reveal to us the difference between when you go through life reacting negatively to small annoyances in your day and having the attitude of, I can attack this with patience. So but before we read the scripture, I want to just summarize it because I'm going to just kind of read a verse or two at a time. We're going to look at the scripture right before Jesus is arrested. So Jesus has had the Last Supper. He goes with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, hey, we're going to pray. He takes Peter, John, and James a little farther. He says, I need you to pray here. I'm going to go over there and pray by myself. He comes back to them. They're asleep. He wakes them up. Does the same thing again. Comes back to them. They're asleep again. Does the same thing again. And in this is when Jesus prays that famous prayer, hey, Father, uh, I don't want to go to the cross. If there's any other way, let's do it that way. And he comes back to him a third time. They're asleep again. But he says, well, okay, wake up. I'm getting arrested. It's time to go. So I want to uh, show you the end of it. If you can open uh, to Mark chapter 14. I'm not going to put any scripture on the screen today. We're just going to... Go through a little bit. So Mark chapter 14. You will need your Bible. If somebody at your table is not opening their Bible, give them the stink eye until they do. They can download the app on their phone real quick. Mark chapter 14. Okay. So here's how the story ends. It says, when he returned to them the third time. Okay, they've fallen asleep twice already. He said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 42, up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And then he's arrested, uh, tortured, and put on uh, unjust trial and executed. Here's what I believe is true. Now, I'm reading into the text of Mark 14. It doesn't explicitly say what I'm going to argue, but based on the whole of the Gospels, I think I stand on confident ground. Jesus doesn't say this angry. Go ahead and sleep. Jesus doesn't say this sarcastic. Oh, go ahead and sleep, guys. Must be nice. Jesus doesn't say this annoyed. 
Go ahead and sleep, guys. That's fine. Jesus says this, I believe, with patience because nothing in his wording is condemning. Nothing in his wording is mean. He calls them out, but you can call someone out with kindness, another fruit of the Spirit. I think his tone is just determined. They had let him down. If I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, these guys think I'm God? Are these guys up for this mission? Are these really the guys that I'm going to entrust to start the church after I ascend to heaven? Not too long from now. But he's patient with them. So how did he respond with patience? Because I'll tell you what I would do. I would just lit into him like a coach at halftime whose players are being lazy. Right? But Jesus said, let's go. Mission, mission moves on. How do you respond? How do you have patience when your teenager is sarcastic? How do you have patience when your wife annoys you? How do you have patience when your coworkers are lazy? And not, not to respond with anger, not to respond with sarcasm, not to let them know how annoyed you are. How do you respond with the fruit of the Spirit called patience? I want to walk through this passage because I think it's going to show us. First, this passage actually shows us three things that I believe give us an excuse to not be patient. I think Jesus had the same excuses that we often use. Look at verse 32 of Mark 14. It says, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. Jesus says, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. That word distressed in verse 33 jumps out at me. And I think the first thing that makes us impatient with people and circumstances is just the stress of life. Just the stress of life. Jesus is stressed out because he knows what's coming. He knows it's torture, it's execution, it's betrayal. If I'm under that kind of pressure, I'm probably snapping at the disciples when they're sleeping, when they should be praying for me. I like watching um, those YouTube videos, and I see them on Instagram Reels sometimes, where people, it's like workout fails. Do you know these videos? I didn't bring any to show you. Don't get excited. But it's like people using equipment the wrong way, like they've never worked out before. Um, people trying inventing new exercise, and it all backfires on them, and they look like they get injured. And it's kind of funny because I assume they're okay. But um, it reminds me of that teaching Kyle had in his most recent book, where he, and he's taught on stage before as well, where he talks about you can be really strong. You can go to the gym. You can bench press several hundred pounds. But there comes a point where somebody could just put on five more pounds and you wouldn't be able to handle that kind of weight and it would crush you. And from the outside, it kind of looks like you can't handle five pounds. But it's five pounds on top of everything else you have. And sometimes the stressors of life, Kyle's taught us, is those big 45-pound plates. But more often, it's just another five-pound weight and another five-pound weight and another five-pound weight, and it feels like it's crushing you, and the people around you would look at you and say, what, you can't handle another five pounds? And that's how you kind of feel, is, yeah, I feel like I can't handle five pounds because the stresses of life are crushing me. Now, I did read that some stress is actually a blessing. Check this out. Researchers at Stanford and Florida State did this survey, ages 18 to 78, and they wanted... uh, They wanted to find out how much people agreed with the statement, I feel my life is meaningful. 
And then they looked at the difference. They did all these questions to find out what's the difference between people who say they live a meaningful life and those who don't. And they said, surprisingly, stress ranked high. In fact, every measure of stress that the researchers asked about predicted a greater sense of meaning in life. People who had experienced the highest number of stressful life events in the past were most likely to consider their lives meaningful. Even time spent worrying about the future was associated with meaning, as was time spent reflecting on past struggles and, and challenges. The researchers conclude people with very meaningful lives worry more and have more stress than people with less meaningful lives. Now, <laughs> that doesn't sound very exciting, <laughs> right? And we know we're not supposed to worry about tomorrow, but it reminds me of what one of my leadership mentors says that I think a lot of you can relate to. Pressure is a privilege. Pressure is a privilege, right? Do you want the pressure of a game, taking the game-winning shot? Well, I don't want the pressure of sitting on the bench, right? Pressure is a privilege. And you are here because you are a leader and you experience that pressure. And like Jesus, you could use that as an excuse to be impatient with people. And I think it would be a pretty good excuse. So stresses of life could be one excuse to be impatient. Another thing I think is shown in verse 35, Mark 14, 35. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. Jesus prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass uh, him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. I want your will to be done, not mine. So this famous prayer that Jesus prays. And his prayer goes unanswered. And here's what I would say is the second thing that leads us to be impatient, that we can use as an excuse even sometimes to be impatient, is spiritual burdens. So stresses of life. Second would be spiritual burdens. And so we got like kind of the physical side of life, this is the spiritual side of life. And there are many things in here that can be a burden to us. I'm impatient with God to make me pure of mind and heart. I am. I'm impatient with him. I'm impatient with spiritual disciplines like my fasting to improve. I feel like I should actually desire it at this point. I'm impatient when I'm around other people who are more mature in certain areas than I am. I'm, uh, I'm impatient when I'm around people who are more joyful than I am. Thinking joy is the fruit of the Spirit. God, how come I don't have that one yet? Or who love to worship more than I do. Or who just get up excited to dive in the Word every single day because I'm not there yet. And I'm impatient to get there. And this idea kind of reminds me of Elijah back, I think it's 1 Kings 19. Remember he has that big battle uh, confrontation with the prophets of Baal and there's hundreds of them. There's one of him and in this dramatic way, God shows up and proves he's the one true God. And after it, Elijah's life gets threatened. So he runs for his life. He sits down under a tree in the middle of the desert. He says, God, just kill me. I'm over it. The spiritual burdens of spiritual leadership just broke Elijah. And it seems in this moment like they're breaking Jesus. He says, Father, if there's any other way, let's do that way. And I don't know about you, but when I feel spiritually burdened, I'm not too patient with other people. <laughs> like my teenager asked the wrong thing, I'm snapping. And Jesus, I think, could have used the spiritual burden he was carrying to, as an excuse 
as a rationale to be impatient. Nobody would have got mad at him, but he doesn't. Okay, one, one, more, one more reason I want to show you we, we justify impatience. Verse 37, then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch even one hour? He was trash talking a little bit. I like that. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. The spirit's willing, but the body's weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. Father, if possible, let's do this a different way. Verse 40, when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. So the third thing we, we said, stresses of life, we said spiritual burdens we carry. Here's another reason I think we use to excuse and rationalize impatience is when people let you down. People let you down. I mean, if there's... I can't think of a more strong way the disciples could have communicated apathy about Jesus and his mission than falling asleep, right? This is discouraging for Jesus. Now, on one hand, I feel sympathy for the disciples because it's the middle of the night. He'd just given them multiple glasses of wine and he doesn't tell them what's going to happen clearly. So he says, hey, just hang out over here in the dark. Like, they're going to fall asleep, right? So I kind of feel some empathy for them. Um, and I would kind of relate this to man challenge. It's like six in the morning. If you fall asleep during a bad speaker, not today, but like hypothetically another speaker, I would have sympathy and empathy for you because it's early in the morning. You chose to get up. You're trying to do something here, right? I do remember, um, you know, as a, as a preacher, you have people fall asleep in your sermons uh, sometimes, and it can be pretty discouraging. You're just trying to ignore them and like make up a story in your head about the life they're living. I'm sure they work the late shift or something. Um, the most discouraging one ever for me was when our church plant was very small. Uh, I mean, it wasn't near the people in this room. It was maybe about the size of six or seven of these tables here. And someone had fallen asleep. And the reason I knew it is because they were snoring so loudly that everybody in the entire room could hear it. But what was most discouraging to me is nobody thought it was worth their time to go wake him up. <laughs> like, they just let him snore. <laughs> like, he's not missing anything. But when people, let you, <laughs> when people let you down, it makes you impatient. And I think these are three reasons we could figure out more that people lose it over small things. Like you ever, you ever been, uh, maybe you've seen a video online or maybe it's been you, uh, somebody like at McDonald's and they just lose it on the person for giving them a small fry instead of a large fry and you're like, my man, they'll fix the fry. It's like you don't need to worry about it. We all know, because we've all been there, it's not about the fries. Right? The fries was the extra five-pound weight of having to deal with something else on top of the 17 things they've been dealing with already that day, and it just pushed them over the edge. And you've been there, and I've been there. So how do we develop patience I think the key is in verse 41. He says, But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Everybody say, Son of Man. One, two, three, go. Eighty-two times in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. It's his most common title for himself. Now, what does that mean? 
I need you to turn really quickly. We're going to go to a few different passages. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. You Bible scholars in the room will know where we're going with this. This is one of the most famous prophecies in the Old Testament. And Daniel has a vision, and we're going to read two verses that the Jewish people came to hang on to and realize was a prophecy about the one coming in the future who would save them. So look at Daniel 7, verse 13. We'll read two verses. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man, say son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. Now, up until this point in scripture, we'll read verse 14 in a second. Uh, son of man was a time that just referred to human. Because the way that term came into scripture was God called Ezekiel, son of man. I think it was something like 90 times uh, just to refer to him as a human. So he's saying in Daniel 7, 13, I have this vision and it's someone like a human but what is he? Verse 14, he was given authority, honor, sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So what the Jewish people did is they realized Daniel saw a vision of what was going to happen in the future. Someone like a son of man, like a human, is going to come, and he is the ancient of days, and he will rule, and his kingdom will never end. This is the Messiah. This is the king. This is the Savior forever. So when Jesus calls himself son of man, he's referring to this passage. And I think this is the key to us dealing with patience. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus is clear on his identity. So he doesn't get his worth from the disciples sleeping. He doesn't get his value from how people treat him. He doesn't react to other situations based on the situation he finds himself in because he's rooted in who God made him to be, who the Father made him to be. So I want to dig deeper on Jesus' identity. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, um, let me preface it with this. We're going to do Matthew 3, and if you want to put your thumb in Matthew 17, and then we'll make the application. Um, three times in the Gospels, the Father speaks to Jesus audibly. Okay? It may have been more than that. It's only three that we know of. It's kind of interesting that we only know for sure the Father talked to Jesus three times. Two of them, he says the exact same thing. We're going to read those two. The third one, if you want to look it up, is in John 12, where Jesus is kind of given a sermon, and it's almost like the Father interrupts just so everybody knows, and he says, hey, it's about my glory. And then he kind of just shuts up and moves on. It's fascinating. But in Matthew 3, Jesus is getting baptized. Look at verse 17. A voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. My dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Now, if you have a paper Bible, hold, hold that. Uh, turn to Matthew 17. This is the last scripture we'll look at. Matthew 17, verse 5. says, but even as he saw, oh, this is the transfiguration. Uh, they're up on the, on the top of the mountain, encountering the presence of the Father, presence of Moses and Elijah. Even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud, the voice of the Father, says, this is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy, Listen to him. 
Now, I want you to catch this. I think this is so powerful. We know the Father spoke to Jesus three times. And really, the one in John I almost dismissed because it's like he's speaking about Jesus to other people. So I would even argue the Father only spoke to Jesus twice in Scripture. Both times, he says the exact same thing. Both times, he communicates, here's who you are. Here's your identity. You're my child. I love you. You bring me joy. You're my child. I love you. You bring me joy. When he starts off in ministry at his baptism, when he's having a mountaintop experience, literally, before he goes back down to face doubt and faithlessness and eventually his trial and execution, both times he says the same thing. Jesus, you're my child. I love you. You bring me joy. Out of that identity, Jesus can be patient. We don't pursue patience. We pursue our identity in Christ and who God made us to be. And out of that, the natural fruit of that, the fruit of the Spirit, is we will be patient in those small things in life that tend to irritate us and make us lose it. Do you know your identity? Because I would argue that the exact same thing that the Father says to Jesus is what Scripture tells us that the Father says to you and says to me. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. Philippians 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? The joy was you. You bring him joy. 1 John 3, how great is the love of the Father that we should be called what? Children of God. The exact same things. The Father says to Jesus about his identity. Scripture says to you that are your identity. You're his child. He loves you. You bring him joy. Now, I want you to catch the order of this because I have been guilty, and I think a lot of Christians in circles like this are guilty of getting it backwards. Because what we often like to say is, I love God, then he brings me joy. Which I think you could make, I think is probably scripturally true. But what scripture says is it's much deeper and it's much better than that. That he loves you first. And you bring him joy. He loves you and you bring him joy because he has made you his child. You're my child. I love you. You bring me joy. And it's true because of what Jesus did on the cross. You know, a bad theology you'll hear sometimes is um, secular people. and Sometimes Christians fall into this. We'll talk about we're all children of God. No, we're not. Scripturally, we're not. Scripturally, the true children of God are those who are covered by the blood of Jesus, have repented and been baptized and placed their faith in him. They've been washed clean and they are now children of God. If you have rejected Jesus, you have disowned God and you are no longer his child until you come back under the blood of Jesus. But because and if you place your faith in Jesus, he says, you're my child. I love you. You bring, my jo you bring me joy. And this is why you are patient when your coworker messes up the report. And this is why you're patient as the administrator with the teachers who are lazy. And this is why you're patient with your family when they do the same thing over and over that you've asked them to stop doing because you know who you are and your identity and your reactions, therefore, are not based in the circumstance but in your identity. So my thesis, I guess is that when you are impatient 
it is never about the thing. It's about what's in here. I brought a, I brought a prop with me. One time, um, uh, about two years ago, maybe, uh, we were in our, our family's in our kitchen, and um, my daughter was smarting off to me a little bit, and she had her headphones in, her AirPods. And I had very clearly told our kids, hey, I know it's the trendy thing to have like one AirPod in or sometimes two AirPods in when you're helping somebody out. Our family ain't going to do that. We're going to honor people, and that communicates dishonor. So they, that ain't okay, and it's definitely not okay to dad. And she was kind of smarting off, and she had her AirPods in, and I told her to take them out, and she rolled her eyes like really big. You know how teenage girls can get them like all the way back in the back of their head like it was one of those eye rolls? And um, she took them out, kind of, you know, had her whole body into it and put them in the case. And it was the five-pound weight. And it sent me over the edge. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, literally, but I think it just kind of ties up what we're talking about. Um, my whole family was in the kitchen. And I took her AirPod case and I threw it as hard as I could against the wall. And I said, I'll teach you to keep your AirPods in while you're talking to your dad. Um, don't write that down as parenting advice in your notes. <laughs> Uh, because uh, I know you would never do such a thing. I know you've never lost your temper, but um, I, uh, as, you, as you might guess, it did not go over well. <laughs> she did not come to me in humility and say, you're right, Father, I shall never list, talk, listen to my AirPods again while talking to you. And, you know, when Dad loses his temper, everybody kind of finds their places to go and hide until Dad repents. And I went on a walk or in the bedroom or something, and I knew I'd just messed up and, um, you know, took some deep breaths and, and got in some scripture. And I knew it wasn't about this, it was about this. And I'd let the five-pound weights get to me and I'd forgotten who I was in Christ and that he, he can handle all the things that I was trying to carry. And because I was trying to carry them, I forgot my identity and thought my worth is in how I lead my family and not in who I am in Christ. Then I just took it out on all of them. And so I had, you know, a repentance moment with uh, my, my daughter in front of my, the rest of my family. Um, and then as I thought about it, I thought, I don't think that's fair for her to keep those AirPods. So I traded her. And so I have my cracked AirPods <laughs> um, where they kind of work, uh, but the, the case is cracked. If you're up close, you can see it doesn't really fit on right. It, wor it works. Um, but, you know, on your, on your phone, it'll, you can name the AirPods, and so whenever I connect these to my phone, it calls them cracked AirPods, so that uh, every time I put them on, it's a reminder of my sin, um, but also, hey, check yourself, what is your identity in? Is your identity in the things around you? Because if so, it's going to end really poorly. Or is your identity in Christ because you're his child and he loves you and you bring him joy? So, one last question that I'll hand over uh, to you guys for discussion. What helps you focus on your identity? I mean, I know like the normal answer is it's church, right? You gotta be involved in church, you gotta be at man challenge, you gotta be in the word every day, right? Those are obvious. Um, but maybe even one level deeper, what is it that helps you focus on your identity? I've had a few different habits over the years. I've had a sauna habit where I'd have like my normal quiet time at home and at the gym I go sit in the sauna, just let the heat bake me and just kind of use that as a time to like 
breathe in the Spirit of God and breathe out myself. Um, I have a little kind of closet room at my house. I call my lounge. And when I talk to people about where God is in my life, God is there. That's where I meet him every morning. I'm getting ready to go out west uh, to hike the Grand Canyon with my son this coming week. And I know whenever I get in nature in a grand way, God meets me there. He reminds me of how big he is and how small I am. But, but I think it's worth thinking, where do you need to be? What do you need to do that reminds you of your identity? Because to be the men we need to be, to be the leaders of our home and the leaders in our church, leaders in your job, leaders in your community, we got to be patient because people are looking up to us. And it's a fruit of the Spirit, but I don't think we get there by focusing on patience. I think we get there by being rooted in Christ. And remember, I'm his child. He loves me. I bring him joy. So let me pray for you, and then we'll hand over the tables. Uh, Father, I pray that we will be rooted in our identity, that just like you spoke to your son Jesus, who he is, that you will speak to us about who we are in Christ that we don't have to do anything, that we have grace because of the cross, that we have trust because of the empty tomb. And we know how my family acts isn't about me. How my, the people I lead at work isn't about me. How circumstances around me fall into place isn't my identity. My identity is in Christ, and I'm your child, and you love me, and I bring you joy. We love you, Lord. Uh, help us be open in this discussion time about how we're struggling and how we need to grow so we can help sharpen each other. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.